Welcome to the Diet Doctor Podcast with Dr. Brett Schur. Today, my guest is Jen Unwin. Now, Jen is a clinical health psychologist with the National Health Service in, in England and also runs a group coaching program with her husband, David Unwin, where they focus on low-carb nutrition. Now, Jen is an expert at dealing with people with chronic health conditions and helping them have hope. And I think that's one of the big messages of this interview, that she really finds instilling people with the message of hope helps success. And we talk about a lot of the challenges people face, because let's face it, Life doesn't go in a straight line. Behavior change is hard. Nutritional change is hard. But it certainly can be done. And we just have to be able to prepare sort of for what the challenges may be and understand how to overcome them and keep coming back to the message of hope. And I think that's sort of the big take-home from this interview with Jen Unwin. Now, she doesn't have products to sell. She doesn't have uh, websites to visit. But you can see her on Twitter at Jen underscore Unwin. Um, and she just has a wonderful message to spread. So I hope you enjoy this interview. And if you want to see the transcripts or see any of our prior podcast episodes, you can find us at dietdoctor.com. Enjoy the interview. Jen Unwin, thank you so much for joining me on the Diet Doctor podcast today. You're welcome. Well, so here we are at Low Carb Denver, and you gave a wonderful talk with your husband. And the, the teamwork sort of between you two, even though you don't work in the same office, the concept of the teamwork, doing the medical side and doing the behavioral side of just behavior change, dietary change, give us a little bit of your background and tell us how you got into this, working with people with health problems and helping them with their behavior changes. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm trained as a clinical psychologist, but I specialize in helping people who've got long-term health conditions. So that's something I've done in the NHS for, I think it's 32 or 33 years now. Um, and I've got a particular interest in the role of hope and trying to kind of in, enhance people's ho hopefulness for the effect that they can have in their own lives, really, to improve their well-being and their quality of life, even in the face of uh, conditions that, that, that endure uh, as we know, you know, these days there's lots of people living for many, many years with chronic pain or diabetes or other disabilities that, um, you know, may, maybe limit their lives in some way or challenge their quality of life. And that, you know, for, for many, many people um, make daily life a struggle. So I, I suppose what I've dedicated myself to is understanding how to help people to to live well and to um, to have some some sort of hope and positivity in their lives. So the the way that I've kind of um, tried to think about that is drawing a lot of influence from the positive psychology literature, uh, which I find really fascinating. Which is about the role of things like hope and, and optimism and being goal focused and what difference that can make to people. Yeah. And then how to sort of have those conversations with people in a way that's help, helpful and empowering. And I use an approach called solution-focused. It, it comes from, um, historically kind of began in the States, actually, as a form of family therapy um, in a place called Milwaukee. <laughs> and um, it's been around for quite some time now and is used in education and social care and in as a, as a form of therapy as a kind of conversation 
which focuses relentlessly on the person and their own personal goals and their own personal strengths and so on to enable them to do that, to have um, to move in a direction which is right for them and is more hopeful and positive for them. Yeah. So that's kind of quite a long answer. So, yeah. It's a good <laughs> yeah. answer. Yeah. Yeah, I like yeah. how you talk about hope and positivity because it, it's clear that when you when you have a medical condition that weighs on you every day, that you seem like you can't escape, whether it's chronic pain, yeah. whether it's depression, whether it's obesity or trying to manage blood sugars or something, and you're not seeing progress, hope is really the first to go. And yeah. Uh, far too often people just throw their hands up in the air. And part yeah. of the problem is sort of the message sometimes they're getting from doctors too is it is it's your fault. You know, you just need to be better. You need to be more dedicated and have more mm. willpower. So I can see how hope will, will disappear. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so how do you, what's the first interaction like when somebody is sort of in despair and kind of feels like there's no hope? How do you get them to start to see the light? I know this, there's probably a lot of answers to that, but I'm yeah. curious if you have sort of like a, a take-home message for people about that. Yeah. So my first question when I meet someone, you know, apart from kind of the niceties, is always, well, you know, what what are your best hopes for us working together? What if you if you look back in six months time and you think, well, wow, I'm so glad I went to that appointment because obviously, you know, people have lost hope. No, not many people want to come and see a psychologist, really. Right. <laughs> um, you know, you, you perhaps wouldn't choose to do that. You know, you make yourself vulnerable and they don't know, you don't know what the person's going to be like, or what they're going to ask you. So I always say, wow, you've, you've come today. You know, obviously you, you're hoping for something to be different or better. Um, tell me about that. And that's always the first really detailed exploration, which is around... If they can, I mean, sometimes that's even a real struggle for people. They've got so low and hopeless that they're, it's a real struggle to think about what might be different and what might be better because they've lost a sense that there's much possibility of that. Right, they've probably never <laughs> taken the time to think about to what think success about would look like because they've given up on it. So just asking them the question to visualize what their success would look like and explain it to you is probably a, a, a tough job for them. Exactly. Yeah. Now, some people take that immediately and can kind of tell you quite clearly so that so so you know that that's kind of a proportion of people but as I say there are other people who really struggle with that so you have to spend quite a lot of time and even sometimes the first or and even the second appointment might be around the sensitive kind of exploration of 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 what better might look like f for them um and trying to get I think what you said there was really important was that kind of um almost like a visualization of of what that might look like yeah and and that's a really powerful thing once people start to be able to imagine that in their minds and and picture some kind of sense of of better or sort of preferred future that's when the that's when the magic begins really right. you know once somebody can kind of picture that in their minds right yeah. And also sort of that inner critic that so many of us have like I'm just not good enough I just can't do it you know, I'm not, I'm not strong enough. I mean, do you have to have people sort of address and attack that inner critic as well? Yeah. So I think as human beings, we're kind of, I always say to people, we're, we're, we're sort of um, primed to notice the, the negative or the, the threats in a situation. That's, I always say that's, that's why we're here because our ancestors were really good at, you know, looking out for uh, threats or negative right. stuff so so we're kind of primed for that and yes as we've said people get very um dispirited people will be very 
critical and they notice all the things that they can't do anymore. Right. Um, you know, the things that are causing them more pain that will tend to focus on that. And that, that, that's hum that is human nature. So the, the approach that I take is really through the kind of questions that you're asking people is directing their attention to other things, shining the light on other things and trying to train them to do that. And you do that through the kind of questions that you ask. So, you know, when did you sensitively asking, when did you have even a slightly less bad day or, you know, tell me about a time when just for even a few minutes, you weren't thinking about the pain. So you have to ask very sensitively because people are suffering and you have to yeah. acknowledge that, but asking for tiny glimpses, if you like, I often say it's like, um, it's like in a, in a gray sky. Are there any times when there's just the tiniest little bit of blue you know tell me about that or right. uh, let's uh let's kind of unpack that when it, you had a slightly tiny slightly better day and i tell you about it what made the difference you know what was going on that was yeah. different that day and trying to be a real kind of um uh detective i bet you notice a change in their you know their behavior maybe even how they're sitting or how their their facial expressions you i bet you notice a change when they do that you're absolutely right yeah. you know people will um sit up or they'll they'll kind of smile and also as the practitioner you're really watching out for those tiny signs yourself and that's the other thing shining the light on that so I often say to people I ask them about their slightly better day I'll give you an example slightly better day people often say things like oh well, you know, the grandchildren came around and you know that made me laugh because they, they did, I got distracted by you know they were messing about or something and you know that that was really nice and I say, well, I notice you smiling when you, you're smiling when you talk about that. You know, your eyes light up when you talk about that. And you can really dig down into that and, and, and emphasize it and, and kind of, uh, yeah, shine a light on the things that, that are exceptions to the rule of right. every day is suffering 100% of the time, right. which is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of talk nowadays of finding your why or finding your your meaning. And it's become almost sort of a, a grab bag term that people just like to throw around. But there, there's a reason it's popular because yeah. connecting to a goal, especially at times of difficulty, can be very powerful to help motivate you. And a lot of times it is yeah. the joy of the grandkids or just the being able to exercise more or spend time where you can concentrate on your, your significant others, your loved ones, and not worrying about your own problems. And mm. I mean, whatever the goal may be, I think connecting with it can be so, so powerful. So do you, do you help people sort of find yeah. that and reconnect it? Or do you have, I guess, do you have, um, little tips you give people mm. of how to reconnect with that goal and how to reconnect with the why? Yeah. Um, again, you're absolutely right. And if you can, understand a person's um, values or the things that are really important to them. And that often comes out of these kinds of conversations. So again, yeah. using that example, um, I might then reflect to the person, it sounds like family is really important to you. You know, you say it tentatively, but you know, pro probably that's what that interaction is telling you when yeah. they tell you that the grandchildren have, have kind of made them have a slightly better day. Family are important to you. Yeah, family is really important. And that can, exploring those kinds of um, values and uh, as you say, goals can also lead into, well, you know, how, how can you get more of that in your life? How can you kind of um, um, use the, maybe the reduced energy that you have? Because people 
with chronic conditions often have a much less kind of a energy to spend during the day. And they often feel that they have to spend it on the things they should do, like the, the jobs and the, um, you know, the kind of um, maybe the things that, that don't bring much joy to their lives. Um, so trying to encourage them um, to notice the times when they're um, living their values, if you like, and, and do more of that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. They're probably not going to get a lot of this at a general doctor's appointment that they're seeing for their pain medicines or for their diabetes medicines. You know, it's, it's the system just isn't built for that here in the United States. And I assume in, in England as well. Yeah. So it really takes someone like you, someone with that expertise, with the time, with the caring and the knowledge to kind of bring it out of them. Isn't that the case? Well, I would say kind of, kind of yes and no. So, yeah. so, um, yes, you, you know, you, it, it may be that somebody with that specialist skill uh, and training, it, it might be the right person for somebody if they've got very, very low and depressed and hopeless. Yeah. Maybe that's the right thing to do. But I also think that, and you, as you saw, as we did in the kind of demonstration, that you can incorporate these ideas into very brief encounters, even in a hospital where you're making somebody's bed, you can... You know, you can incorporate some of these ideas and questions um, into those very brief encounters. If you have that kind of mindset yourself where right. you're kind of asking people those sorts of questions, I think you can. And as David does it in his 10 minute appointments. And I think if you've got extended contact with someone, yeah, maybe it's only 10 minutes, but you may that may be every week or you know, in a hospital setting every, every day, you can yeah. then, you know, build up quite a good rapport with somebody. I guess that's a great point. I mean, you could think of it as like an hour appointment of sitting down and going through all the different things that you're feeling and your goals and, and your challenges. Or if you only have a 10 minute appointment, simply asking, tell me something good that happened. Tell me a victory you had or a time you felt great. You know, just that one question, it could take 30 seconds or a minute. And, yeah. but just that one question can make a big difference. Yeah. It? Or yeah. what's, tell me about the the you know the proudest achievement in your life or yeah. you know an, anything like that that's um um going to improve somebody's kind of sense of com confidence and confidence about their own abilities which right. they've off they've often lost haven't they you yeah, know so exploring when people have how people have got through difficult times you know um they may be telling you about a very difficult experience you know a question like uh, how, how did you get through that? How did you do that? You know, right. what did you, what, what, did any, any good come out of that at all? Those, those kinds of questions. Right. Reminding them that they've overcome challenges before. Yeah. They've done it before. They can do it again. Yeah. And so you mentioned before about setting goals because mm. achieving goals can be a very powerful, positive influence. Yeah. And we talk about long-term goals and short-term goals. So how do you help people kind of framework their goal setting to, to have that positive feedback and yeah. not sort of get bogged down in the, oh, I haven't lost my 50 pounds. Oh, my pain isn't completely gone yet and thinking about the negative, but rather turn them to the positives of goal success. Yeah. So we talked about um, in the first appointment or, or the first sort of um, conversation with somebody establishing what better would look like. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I usually get into um, a sense of scaling that. So um, I present it as, well, you know, okay, we've talked about that your best hopes would be around, you know, maybe that, maybe having more energy to 
play with the grandchildren or maybe have a goal of taking them on on holiday or something whatever it is for that individual if that was your 10 out of 10 you know that was that was you know absolutely would be brilliant for you um and naught out of 10 where is where you know absolutely none of that thing exists or you know it feels completely impossible where are you now and nine times out of 10 people don't say zero actually that does occasionally happen but nine times out of 10 people would say well well, you know, I, I I did spend an hour with the grandchildren. I, I was able to kind of um, play a game of snap with them or something. And, you know, maybe I'm a two or a three. And that, again, already gives people a sense of progress. You know, they're, they're not zero. That's a different case. If they say zero, you kind of go down a different road. But a two or three, okay, well, that's really interesting. And, um, you know, maybe if you were a, a, th- a three and a half, tell me about that. What would you... What would that what would that look like? And then they might say, I don't know. We could I'd take them to the park, or um, they'll come up with something themselves. The fact that they've come up with it themselves means it's kind of doable. They've because they've generated it themselves. You you already right. know that they're contemplating that they they could actually do that. Oh. Yeah. So you don't actually have to say to the person, go away and do that, or or what is the next step? It's not about um, the means, if you like. It's just asking. Well, what what would that look like? And right. then. I'd say nine times out of ten, they they usually go away and do that thing. Not always, but <laughs> quite often. And because you've not said to go and do it, if they come back and they haven't done it, it's not a failure. So you're never setting oh, someone up for failure. Right. Because um, if they come back and they haven't done it, that's fine. But they might say, well, I didn't do that, but we did, you know, I took them out for a meal. Or they, people go away and have complicated lives, don't they? So I think the trouble with setting specific goals is that sometimes people can't achieve them. So, yeah. Yeah. I like the idea of having them come up with the idea of mm. framing it in a positive way. And then it sort of gives them the idea to go out and do that. I think yeah. that's, that's a good approach. And then when you see the next time, you can say, well, you know, that's, what's gone What's gone well since we last met? You know, what's, uh, what's better? And people often start with something negative, actually, but usually we'll come up with something that has has been better or they may have done the thing that they said that they would notice and then you can say well oh you know 10 out of 10 is where you want to be and last time we met you were two and a half what would you give yourself today and and why and and what else is going well right what else have you noticed now one of the big interventions that we talk a lot about with lifestyle change is nutrition Mm. there's a whole lot to lifestyle change but nutrition is a big part of it and in this community specifically the low carb lifestyle which we've seen have so many potential benefits but it's not always so easy for people is it i mean Mm. in in the keto community in the low carb community you hear a lot about success you hear a lot about people doing wonderfully but there's a pretty large subset that struggles for different reasons Mm -hmm. Um, so tell us what you think some of the biggest struggles you've heard are and then we can maybe talk about some strategies to get past that. But what are some of the biggest struggles people have or the reasons why they're not succeeding the way they want? Yeah, so in the group that we run together, um, David and myself, at, at his practice, um, and you know, conversations that we've had there, I think we're coming to think that the, the, the biggest struggle is this sort of addiction, the addictive nature of sugar and carbohydrate. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's a really big topic. And that people can often do really well in the beginning and they get it and they have great success. And then for whatever reason, um, they, they slip up or, and then it, the, the struggle is to sort of get back on track. Yeah. Uh, so I would say that's probably the, 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 
the biggest reason for this for the struggle or the, or for setbacks um and then we we try and never never frame that as a failure but a, just as well oh, that's interesting okay what, what what were the kind of circumstances of of coming off track you know if they want to get back back on track you know what, what caused that and what how might you handle that differently next time would you have a different plan um you know how are yeah. you how are you going to get back on track? And I'm sure some of the most common reasons for people slipping up can frequently be, you know, increased stress, something a job change totally. or a death in the family or someone's totally. sick or yeah. you know, some sort of internal stressor mm. where then you turn to that addiction of food and carbs and and sugar for comfort. Absolutely, um, and yeah. I think you know people have to forgive themselves for that. I think there's another whole layer, isn't there, where people are very self-critical about that and right. um, you know. Re- that's only going to add to the stress, isn't it? Uh, it's easier said than done, isn't it? But, you know, acknowledging that um, they probably, most people are going to fall off the wagon at some at some point and sometimes big things are going on in life and you have to prioritise, you know, sometimes that's the priority. Right. Yeah. yeah I, think, and I think that's a good point that uh, when I work with people, mm. I want to lay out from the beginning, look, you're not going to be perfect. Yeah. Nobody's perfect. They're going to be set back. So get it in their mind. So like you said, it's not a failure when it happens. It's almost sort of yeah. an expected occurrence, but to learn from it. So I like what you said. You said, well, how would you do it differently next time? Not why did you do that? Why did that <laughs> yeah. happen? Right? You don't, you, and, and also reminding people, well, you know, how did you feel when you were really kind of in the zone or when you, you were really happy right. with, with, with how you're kind of nutrition was was going what do you notice about yourself and they always come up with you know well i was energetic and i was sleeping well and i had yeah. loads of energy and um uh, felt good so again reminding people of of when they've when they've been at their best and and trying to get back to trying to get back to that how did how did you do it last time yeah you know yeah. how did you do it in the first place how did you get in that that good place for you and to prepare for the same thing to happen again, because if something happened once, chances are it can happen again. Yeah. And how would it be different? So even like a really bad night's sleep. Yeah. Right. I think we've all had that and yeah. carb craving the, the next day. And there's day evidence and, for that, isn't there? That yeah. it, it really does uh, make people eat more the following day. Right. Yeah. The leptin, ghrelin, yeah. the hormones of I'm full or I'm hungry are, are all thrown off. And that can help people, can't it? And you can say, oh, the science will just, tell you that, that that's going to yeah. happen. Yeah. Right. It's not your fault. It's yeah. the science. It's, it's your it's, body it's your hormones. physiology. That's yeah. a really big thing, I think, about the whole the self-blame thing about the the, the addiction. And the, uh, I think it's it's really it does really help people to label it sometimes for some people to label it as an addiction so that yeah. they can say, right, it's my, you know, my, this stuff is affecting my brain. It's not, you know, it's not, uh, the other thing I was thinking you were, you were talking was that I often say to people, you know, it's how, how do we learn to ride a bike? We fall off, off a lot, don't we? You, you learn to balance by falling one side and then falling the other side. And it, it le- learning a new skill is about wobbling. Right. So Great analogy. Yeah. So, so, you know, you fell off and I, I think David showed that graph, didn't he, where the guy learned three times and, and the third time did much better. And each time the oscillations was, was slightly less. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, people might, may fall off spectacular style, but I think if they can remember how well they felt when, when they were doing it and how they did it the first time and then get back on again. And One of the other interesting things is just the environment that you're in. So it can be relatively easy to control your home environment or it could be relatively difficult if you have kids and a significant other who maybe aren't on the same program as you Mm -hmm. what kind of advice can you give people to to help with the home environment to make it 
as sort of risk-free as possible. That's you know, a really good point. Tempting-free as possible. Oh, the environment's a, it's a really big one, isn't it? Because yeah. um, we know that willpower is um, exhaustible, isn't it? So you get yeah. home at the end of the day, you've had a long day at work, you know, you, all your intentions are good to cook yourself this kind of healthy dinner. And then, I don't know, what's sitting what's sitting on the counter, a packet of crisps or something, someone else has left there. Yeah. So so uh, difficult, you know, when you're tired to kind of stick to stuff. So I would say to people... It's about building those good habits and engineering the environment. Yeah. So if you can put stuff out of sight, so if other people in the house want want to have it, can can you have your own cupboard <laughs> and only go in that cupboard? Right. Can you have your own shelf on the fridge? And, you know, so that you're kind of training yourself to to, to those sort of new habits, really. And that um, if you tend to overeat certain things, even if they might be kind of the kind of things you're allowed to eat, like, you know, often we overeat nuts, don't we, or cheese, and maybe you don't want to. Can there's quite a lot of good food science about packaging things up in smaller packets. So even if you buy things in bulk, then transfer them into smaller pots. Right. Um, you know, nuts. Can you put them in the little click boxes in portions? Because it sounds like such a tiny thing, but 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 actually, psychologically. You will eat less if you're doing that than than if you've just got the giant packet. Right. <laughs> They've done quite a few studies on that with popcorn mostly, but yeah. you know that if people have a giant bucket, they eat much more. Oh goodness, salted macadamia nuts! If there's a big bag <laughs> yeah. of them, oh, I'm in trouble. Yeah. yeah, we all have things that actually we can't moderate, and that's the other thing I say to people: like, you know, that's unique to you. So if that if that's your the thing that you can't moderate, well, you know. You've got a choice there of maybe not buying it. <laughs> and, um, you know, yeah, I'm the same. I have peanut butter. I can't, can't moderate it. So we just don't buy it now. Don't have it in the house. Right. Have, have, have other things. So, uh, yep. So engineering the environment, thinking about preparation, taking things to work rather than being tempted to go to the canteen. If there's some canteens, obviously, you're going to find would, would have good options, but some places i guess there's not going to be much that you you, you, you yeah. get to one sweet so um right work is a whole nother environment because there you have a lot less control right at home yeah. you can tell your family you can set things up you have you can have somewhat control over people yes. but at work you you may have to give up all control and there's yes. going to be you know candy jars and there's going to be cake in the break room and there's going to be chips everywhere cake pushers yeah <laughs> yeah there's nearly yeah. always some cupcake <laughs> baking yeah. person isn't there in the office who's, who's bringing things in and i think that's uh yeah that's an that's another challenge and we we often talk about how how you might you can even kind of maybe do some role plays to practice how you might politely turn down cake i think people socially feel quite awkward saying no to someone who's made them a you know, a special cupcake or something, yeah. um, you know, to kind of take it out of politeness. And so so trying to think how you can have those conversations with people in a way that you feel comfortable with. And, you know, if, if you, do you want to put kind of that politeness above your own health? You know, it's yeah. that, isn't it? It's, but it is, that is, yeah, all of these things are challenges, aren't they? And I think uh, all of us are still on a learning journey. I mean, we've we've been doing this for six or seven years ourselves. And I think you still, 
Yes, still a challenge. Right. I like the idea of role play because it could be in your whole life you've never said no to somebody mm. offering you a sweet or offering a treat. So when it happens, you you could be very uncomfortable to do that. So having yeah. had the experience beforehand in sort of a safe environment where you can practice that, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, and you can yeah. come up with little phases like so. Um, if people you know offer me a, a bag of you know, want a sweet from from your bag, I say, oh, I'm trying to give them up or something like that. Or or you know they say, don't you like cake? And I say, oh, I, I love cake, but it doesn't love me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you can do do it in a humorous way, or you can just be upfront with people and say, you know, you're, you're really trying hard for health reasons, or you're know, trying to lose weight. And I think people will people are sympathetic with yeah. that, aren't they? Sometimes I recommend people actually have like a signed contract that they have their mm. family signed or maybe a coworker signed. Mm. And sometimes people think it's a little cheesy and a little over the top, but it can be really helpful because then people understand where you're coming from ahead of time. And then yeah. hopefully they'll stop offering you the cake because they know what your goals are and they know what you're trying to oh, accomplish. I think that's a really good idea. Or, you know, even to have that conversation and say, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm really trying to achieve this for myself. It's re it's really important for me. You know, re help me buy. You know, don't don't offer me that stuff. You right. know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and what about asking for people's help? I think people are. You know, on the whole, we all want people to be happy and support our colleagues, don't we? So right, right. And what about people who just have this psychological barrier to just, ah, I just love bread. I just love pasta. I just yeah. can't give it up. But yet they. They have had some success with low carb, mm. but they keep falling back because it's just kind of a core of who they think they are. How do you help them get over that? It's really it's difficult. Hard. It's really difficult, isn't it? I think going back to, you know, what their ultimate goals are. So so it's having that kind of that motivation for a sort of future goal where, where you, you know, we could maybe get, get over that hump of, of trying to give something up. I think explaining about addiction, I think that that's important. Um the other the other thing is about well you know what what else have they got in their lives that that they love that isn't food related so that's often a conversation i have with people because so if there's a food addiction issue we know that that hijacks the dopamine pathways and other you know neurotransmitters and dopamine is really strongly linked with motivation but what it does is it makes you just motivated for that that one thing you're getting all your reward from from food so let's let's name that and let's think what other where else you might get rewards or or kind of pleasurable brain experiences so uh what hobbies or you know what uh, physical activity is actually a really big one isn't it that's a really yeah. you know n not necessarily for weight loss but to you know enhance people's mental health and i think that has a really powerful effect if you can just get people even walking we know all the science is there for, for mental health and exercise yeah. um, and to get those kind of good endorphins going. Um, yeah. What, what hobbies have they maybe given up, you know, either due to their size or pain or whatever, but what, what kind of things might they enjoy? Yeah. Social connectedness, you know, all of those things are other ways of getting Great point. If that taking, good feeling. Right. If you're taking something away that they're used to getting that dopamine rush or that good feeling, you can't just take it away and expect success without replacing it with yeah. something else. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully something healthier. Yeah. Building up and again, moving towards that kind of life that they want, you know. Are there other, other struggles you see people go through, other sort of common themes that come up that you address with people? The kind of struggles in, in the, the kind of um, perennial questions we get in the group would be exactly as you say, like at work, what do I, what do I take? If I'm mm -hmm. traveling, 
how do I, how do I deal with that? And it's always right. all about planning. Um, yeah, the addiction side of things, falling off the wagon. Um, what else did the group talk about? So those are probably the big. Those are probably the big ones yeah. I would say. And then as you see them progress, as you see them have hope. I mean, I assume you just see a tremendous amount of success. Yeah, in the yeah. Uh, in the group, it's it's lovely. And the other thing is celebrating that success, obviously, oh, as you go along. Uh, I think you saw the photo of the lady with the jeans. So we often we encourage people who've um, had uh, you know either noticed something about their their health or their well being or um, they've reached their goal or we we we'll get them to to share that because it inspires other people. There's nothing so inspirational as seeing someone else who you identify with who lives in your community, you might be the same age as you, um, you know, doing amazingly. And quite a few people in the group have been doing it for five or six years now. There's one or two people still lo still losing weight after all that time uh, who or who, who have lost really a significant amount, six or seven stone. And they will occasionally bring in their photos to show the new the new people who always have absolutely blown away yeah yeah and and for for that person to be the example to be oh. the shining example of success must just lift them up so hopeful feel. for yeah. for the for the people coming in but so fantastic for them as well because then that becomes part of their um kind of own view of themselves as a success as an inspiration to other people you know yeah. they can see how far they've come yeah yeah and i know there can be a lot of goals but weight loss frequently is one of the big goals mm -hmm. and you know, weight loss rarely goes in a straight line. There are, you know, ups and downs and ebbs and flows. So let's talk about stalls. People like to talk about stalls. So I was doing great and then I mm. stalled on my weight loss mm -hmm. and started to gain a few pounds. What goes through your brain as sort of a checklist to help this person figure out why they stalled and how they get past their stall? That's right. I mean, usually it's about thinking about how have things been creeping in. <laughs> like, like we were saying about, you know, the, the, the nuts and the cheese and those kinds of things. Have, have they actually been drifting a uh, carb drift is another thing isn't it yeah, they, yeah. The, the little things are creeping in like maybe the old biscuits at work that kind of thing um the other thing i think that um we often david often brings in is is the time restricted eating idea and people really get that and but because he explains a lot about physiology to the patients and this idea the idea of trying to keep insulin low and you know not needing to eat breakfast and there's all the evidence now isn't there for the kind of time right. the, the kind of window eating so um i think that's that can be a kind of second phase for people once they've got used to the idea of the the whole nutrition side then they can start um reducing the window but also um david always is really against snacking right. <laughs> because again that can creep up can it so i think if you can base your your daily routine around meal meals yeah uh, and not kind of that not an endless grazing again right. there's evidence for that because sure. of the insulin side so um and snacking frequently is more of a psychological again, issue than a, again, than a yeah, biological or feeling a bit we weary or you know you kind of fancy a treat and yeah it, we've we've all been kind of trained into the, the snacking thing haven't we and yeah. sometimes it still blows my mind how f how far this is from the sort of conventional wisdom that we all grew up with which is you know eat little and often eat, eat low fat you know right <laughs> uh, i'm sure that takes quite a bit of education too just for yeah. people to understand that what they've heard and what they've been taught for decades actually isn't the, it, necessarily the right path to success 
And there's an emotional response to that, I think. You know, mm. I had one myself, which was, I can't, you know, I can't believe all those decades that are kind of struggling to do that. And, yeah, but, uh, there was a speaker yesterday who said about blame, blaming themselves for, for not not being successful in that, mm. um, whilst being successful in other areas of your life, you know, mm. and having that whole area that was, that was a struggle the whole time. Well, you know, when you find out you didn't really need to struggle there was a, a response to that and having had family members who who definitely would have benefit you know benefited from this I you know I know for sure that my mother would have been so much so so much more well I'm trying to find the right way to put that yeah. um because we have the basically the same sort of physiology you kind of ah yeah, there's an emotional response to that, isn't there? And people have that as well in the group. Yeah. Yeah. So how many people do you work with at once in your group? The, I mean, the numbers are kind of creeping up over the years yeah. because we never say people can't come back. And they often bring, what we like is for people to bring a family member if they wish to. So the pers- maybe the person who does the, the shopping and the cooking. And we often find that they, you know, obviously they're losing weight as well as as well as uh, other members of family, <laughs> neighbours and so on. Yeah. So some people often bring someone with them. So we, we definitely need a bigger room, standing room only. At some, some of the groups we've had, you know, 20 30 people it started off as only a few um but we still get a a good interaction as well and people yeah sharing success asking questions sharing recipes i'm good yeah i've got a little facebook group for them as well yeah and i'm sure that shows the power of community how just the, the the belonging to the group that having other people to share the experience share the struggles share the successes Yep. I mean, I'm sure that goes a long way for lifting hope, like you were saying. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that people are, are still still engaged after six years is, you know, it's, it's a great sign, isn't it, that they're finding it helpful. And I think the long-term support is is important, um, yeah. you know, either through online communities like Diet Doctor or through finding a local a local group or, you know, just, just doing it with someone else, really. I think that, yeah. that does really help. Right. It's not like it's just a six month thing and then all the challenges go away. It doesn't work that way. The challenges continue for years, but once a sugar addict, always a yeah. sugar addict, <laughs> you know, it's only like the same struggles people have with drug and alcohol, isn't it? Yeah. You know, those are lifelong, lifelong struggles, but right. there are ways, there are ways to keep, keep, keep on the bicycle. <laughs> right. And it's great to see the long-term success. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm yes. sure you must feel very very full and very joyful to see all the success that you're helping people have. It's really, it's really uplifting to see yeah. the difference. I mean, it's the same. I'm sure you feel the same. You know, to to see the difference it makes in, in people's life. You know, some someone who's has been, you know, extremely overweight and on lots of medication and feeling unwell. You know, to to then see them, you know, jogging around town and right. you know, really enjoying their lives. Yeah, yeah. that's that's special. Mm. Oh, it's wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you for joining me today. I love the message of hope and, and the message of success and how we can kind of put that out to people to show them that yes, this can be done and yeah. yes, you can do it and here's how. And mm. yeah, it's a wonderful message. So thank if you. people want to learn more about you, where can you direct them to hear more about your your, your thoughts and what you're working on? Um, I guess the, the, the other videos. Uh-huh. Um, um, there's uh, a bit of stuff on diabetes.co.uk as well. Okay. Yeah. Great. Great. Well, thank you again for joining me. It's been You're a great very conversation. Welcome. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank yeah. you.